I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I am the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. I am very thrilled today as we have a neuroscientist, board-certified psychiatrist, health tech entrepreneur, and inventor who has been studying the impact of chronic stress in humans for more than 15 years. He's the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Apollo Neuroscience. Dr. David Rayban, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Awesome. So David, I usually like to start out the podcast with getting to know my guests a little bit better in detail. We both share something in common. And that is what we, that we both love to understand the human brain, but I'd love to hear about your journey. How did that start out? How did you become so fascinated into understanding the brain? I think it started when I was really young. I had very vivid dreams as a child. I would often wake up in the middle of the night and feel like what I had experienced while I was sleeping was very real, which I know a lot of other people now as an adult have also experienced, but at the time I didn't really have the words to describe it or, or know what I was experiencing. And then one day I must've been five or six. I asked my parents about, about dreams and you know what they meant. And mainly because I was noticing that I was referencing things that happened in my dreams in my regular life. So I'd be talking to somebody like my brother and I'd have a conversation with him and I would mention something we did together. And then he would have no idea what I was talking about because it happened in a dream, not in our shared reality. 
but it felt very real to me. So I always thought that was really interesting. And then I asked my parents about it. My parents are very bright and very good teachers and they tried their best, but they're also trained in Western, Western medicine and the Western medical understanding of dreams, especially for kids. And when they're scary is, oh, you just tell them it's not real. And so that's effectively the narrative that I understood. But to me, I kept having these experiences. So they were still very real to me. And I think it always just lingered in the back of my mind. If this feels real and this is actually real, the real that everybody says is the real that we should care about, but they both feel pretty real, then what's real and and what is consciousness and what is experience? And so I just started to think about that stuff in that way uh, from a very young age. And then over time, I started studying chronic stress and just becoming really interested in resilience and the things that push us to excel at being human and really do these incredible feats of strength and intelligence that we have as humans uh, on the earth that have brought us to where we are today in society. And and that stuff has, has always been really fascinating to me in the context of what causes illness, which is in a lot of ways, the same kind of stress that challenges people to succeed. So why do some people succeed with this kind of stress so well and other people don't? And what's the difference? And so there's a lot of interesting stuff there, but that's how I got excited about this space and started doing research in it. Yeah, it's phenomenal. When you discuss elements of stress there, something I'm curious to know a little bit more about is what is actually occurring in the body on a physical level when we're undergoing acute stress and highly stressful scenarios? There's a lot of things going on in the body. I think the main thing to think about is that the body only has so many resources to go around at any given time, Mm. right? I don't think I really fully understood this when I was learning this stuff in medical school. It took years of practice and just seeing patients to understand it as intuitively as I do now. But ultimately, there's only so much blood and resources to go around in the body. And so typically, that's enough for all the systems to function adequately. But when we're in a state of stress or, or threat where the body is perceiving or the mind, our minds are perceiving a survival threat that we need to get away from or deal with immediately, or we will not be able to continue on this earth, right? Those kinds of threats and threats that remind us of those threats trigger a response in the body that takes all available resources and delivers them to the skeletal muscles, the heart, the lungs, the brain, the motor cortex of the brain, and the parts of our bodies that are critical for getting out of or fighting a a predator, right? So metabolism turns down because we may need to conserve nutrients, right? There are different things that happen in the body when we're exposed to stress. And that stress has a different effect, whether it's stress in the short term, like right now, or an hour of stress, or whether it's stress every moment of every day for a really long period of time, like years, that also has its different effects on the body. And the short-term stress, it turns out, is not that dangerous to us as long as we survive it. The short-term stress is actually probably really good for our health. It helps us to grow. It helps us to learn how to become more adaptive and and effective human beings. But it's the long-term chronic stress that causes effectively long-term resource depletion in the body from all the systems that are important for functioning when we're not stressed out, right? So all the stuff that we want to function when we're not stressed, that we're not under threat, like our reproductive system, our digestive system, our immune system, our metabolic system, our empathy system, all of these systems, our sleep and and recovery system, they're all critically important for survival. 
and they require safety to turn on. They require, mm. they require the body to be out of threat to allow resources to go back to these recovery thrival, thriving systems. And so if we never feel safe, then our body, because of whatever situation we're in internally or externally or both, then our bodies start to train to be in a state of threat all the time, which causes long-term chronic stress, long-term resource depletion from the recovery systems to favor the stress systems. And then it's no surprise that we have dysfunction in all these parts of the body, right? We get digestive upset and and reproductive issues and anxiety and irritability and mood issues, right? It's because these systems of our body are not getting the resources they need. And so the Mm. practices that people do to help people recover, help ourselves recover from stress, like meditation, breath work, yoga, even mindfulness practice, exercise, good nutrition, all of these things are critical to amplifying safety in the body and therefore redirecting resources, reminding our body that it's allowed to redirect resources back to the rest and digest recovery nervous system and that the stress response system can turn it down a little bit. Yeah, you've done a done a great job there at summarizing that. I know there's a lot of different levels to that and different systems and organs that play a role and, and facilitate different processes. One pathway, like one metric that I know many of us in this uh, health and wellness space oftentimes measure is heart rate variability. And I've had a few experts on the show to talk about heart rate variability and how it's very closely linked in with cardiovascular adaptation and stress management, things like that. But obviously we're here to talk about the Apollo device. Now to frame it and give some context for my listeners, first of all, how did what was your involvement in the development of that device and where did that all begin? So it actually began with HRV, a heart rate variability, because heart rate variability is the, is our most reliable measure Mm. of balance between balance in the nervous system, balance between the sympathetic fight or flight stress response nervous system and the parasympathetic rest and digest recovery nervous system. HRV is a measure of the balance between those systems at any given moment and over time. Mm. By looking at changes in our heart rate variability, we can predict when somebody's recovered adequately or when they're just recovered a little bit and they need more sleep before they go out and do something that's strenuous or whether they're ready to go and they're feeling their body is showing that it's an optimal performance, state's ready for optimal performance. So that's really important in particular because people who have PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, chronic pain, insomnia, they all tend to have low heart rate variability. Mm. And we saw this in the literature and we saw it in our clinics because in the clinic, many of these patients we were seeing were constantly never under threat. They never felt safe. One of the main symptoms of PTSD is called hypervigilance, which is always scanning, looking over your shoulder for threat. So these people literally never feel safe. And their heart rate variability, which is a measure, a number measurement of your heart, basically your heart rhythm saying our interpretation of what, how your safety and threat response is doing, it's showing that their nervous system is tuned to be in threat, under threat. It's not able to enter the rest and digest recovery state the way it needs to, even though it's safe right now. It can't do it. So we understanding that situation our patients were facing at the University of Pittsburgh, we were we went back to the lab and we started working on techniques to help to boost safety signaling in the body, like meditation, mindfulness, soothing touch, soothing music. And from years of research between 2013 and 2018, in my lab, we 
figured out that there were very specific vibration patterns that were that could activate the touch receptor system in our skin that could send specific rhythms of soothing vibration to the body that feel like a cat purring on your body or like somebody holding your hand on a bad day. And that feeling goes into our skin and into our emotional cortex of our brain and does the same thing that holding a hand of a loved one does, which is it reminds us that we're safe enough to be able to, to calm down. We're safe enough to be able to be present because we can pay attention to this feeling right now. And so that is a subconscious loop that occurs that just is a, is a reminder of safety, which is in large part activated by these powerful touch receptors that are evolutionarily one of the most highly conserved, powerful ways that we experience safety from our loved ones. Every single mammal nurses their young when they're young. This is not unique to humans. So touch is absolutely essential for physical and mental health. We don't get enough of it. That being, But that being said, we can still get some of it from technologies like Apollo that help give people that felt experience of soothing touch and then help train the body to be able to enter meditative states more easily by giving the body the, the rhythms that help the body enter those meditative states based on neuroscience, which is really exciting because it's the first tool of its kind that does that. And we've proven that it does it because we've shown that it improves HRV in double-blind randomized placebo-controlled crossover studies. Now that is super exciting. The first method that most people think of when looking at optimizing HRV is usually around like controlling your breathing, extending the exhale, like a, a longer exhale, like facilitating that through the breath. But now we're talking about physical sensation, a physical touch sensory experience, facilitating a change in the emotional part of the brain response. And now that's having a downstream effect on the heart rate variability. Talk to us about the, so this is, was this the first of its kind? Was it already a device that was trying to like trying to achieve the same thing previously, or is this like the first? Apollo is the first of its kind. There, mm. there are other technologies that have done something similar, but not in the way that Apollo does it, where you just strap it on and it does the job for you in terms of getting your mm. body into that state. Because Apollo is, so if you think about wearables and where we're at, the, te the technology that influenced Apollo is not a wearable, it's not as much a wearable, it's a biofeedback. Biofeedback mm. is the science of breathing and the science of effectively what happens to our heart and lungs when we enter into meditative states, which is a very much underrated and one of the most fascinating areas of science that we've ever discovered in the last 50 years. And these biofeedback scientists have just done incredible work showing how we get into these states that promote healing with breath alone. So you think about that, and then you think about the rhythms that we can deliver to the body. And then when it turns out when you deliver those rhythms to the body actually likes them and it tries to match the rhythm in terms of breath, heart rate. So Apollo is like wearable biofeedback for your body. It gives you all the mm. benefits of deep breathing and biofeedback, but on the go. Before that, it was just biofeedback, which was the fancy yeah. version was like heart math, right? Which heart math is great. But heart math, you have to sit there and you have to do the exercise. So you have to do the practices with it. And Apollo is you strap it on, you'll do whatever you're going to do anyway. You don't need to, it doesn't take extra time. But the generations of wearable technology that are interesting to think about are where, of where Apollo comes from is first we had trackers, right? Wearable trackers like the original Fitbits and the original like step trackers and old Apple Watch or ring, that kind of thing. And those were useful, but they really just so useful. They really just gave us a whole bunch of data. And then we had to analyze that data and then interpret the data and then put it into action, 
right? So that was the highest level of effort wearable. That's just the, the tracker alone. Now we have tracker trainers that came after, right? So it's like advanced Oura Ring, advanced Apple Watch, advanced Fitbit, where it's taking information about you, gathering it, analyzing it, interpreting it, and then giving you recommendations. And that's where most of the other wearable technology is at today. And that is great, but it still has the barrier of people have to actually take that information and put it into action to feel better. You, you can't just look at the data and, re- and look at the recommendations and actually feel better. It's still telling you, you have to do the work to feel better. So that's all called top-down learning, where you tell somebody to do something and they learn it and then they do it. Requires a lot of effort. We know this from learning literature for hundreds of years. If you look at, or for decades, I'm sorry. If you look at what Apollo is doing, Apollo is working from the bottom up. So it calms the body through the skin. It doesn't require any effort. It's the third, it's the newest generation of wearable. It delivers an output to the body that calms the body to make the body feel good from the literally bottom up body to the brain. And then the brain recognizes that feeling as calm and then starts to self-correct. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, you've heard of homeostasis, right? Yeah, yeah. So homeostasis means balance. Mm. So homeostasis means balance. Balance and health are synonymous terms. You do, we don't have health without balance in the mind-body equilibrium and the body in general. So what we're really talking about is homeostasis of the mind-body, right? Because you're bringing, you're calming the body and then that restores balance in the mind. And then people are able to remember that they can control their body again. And so it creates uh, through breath and through these different experiences. And then so it creates like a positive feedback loop towards attention control and towards self-awareness effectively, which is so helpful. Uh, we've seen tremendous benefit in our users and in our studies so far, which is really exciting. Yeah, we'll definitely dive deeper into some of the research. I'm excited to hear about what you uncovered in some of those um, studies and some of the data points and the outcomes and objectives of those studies. I'm super excited to dive deeper into that. But before we do, David, I'd love to learn more about how did you actually know which part of the body to apply that sensory, that touch? What, like, How did you figure that out? We just did a lot of testing. Most science, there's a ton of testing. We made prototypes. We tried it lots of different places. We ran a clinical trial at the University of Pittsburgh, also double-blind randomized placebo-controlled crossover study where we gave people Apollo vibrations in different parts of their body, chest, wrist. We did a lot of studies in the ankle in the real world. And ultimately, just looking at the way people responded and measuring EKG, heart rate, and EEG brainwave patterns and pupillometry and physical movement and skin response, sweat, and all these things in tandem you start to see signatures in the body that of certain states. And so you can use the, you can use all these tools, start to understand what somebody's body looks like in a different state and how to influence it to enter into a new state. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. A lot of testing. So the ankle, yeah. the wrist, the ankle, the wrist and the chest actually became the, the leaders that came out of that work. But, it, turned, but it, it turns out Apollo works anywhere in the body. You don't need to wear it anywhere in particular because it works through the touch receptor system, which is really neat. So you can literally put it anywhere that feels good to you. Yeah, it makes sense. As far as some of the, the clinical trials, David, I'd love to learn more about what was the very first study objective? What was the main outcome of the first study that you guys conducted? 
So the main outcome was we wanted to see if Apollo vibrations within three minutes could, in a controlled environment, could increase heart rate variability in a significant way under stress. And if we did increase heart rate variability, would we also see an improvement in cognitive performance uh, under the same stressful condition? So that was back in 2017. That was our very first clinical trial with 38 healthy people in a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled crossover study format. So that's effectively six study conditions. There were two placebos, two no-vibration conditions, two active Apollo vibrations, and each subject experienced every single condition at random on two body locations. Wow. Yeah. So you think about what, so the power of that study is actually not 38. The power of that study is actually six times 38, which is like yeah. 200, 200 and. 40, 50, something. So you get the, so those kinds of studies become really interesting because you get the same data, you get data from the same person experiencing every single vibration pattern. And then you also get data from people experiencing no vibration patterns in the same people. And you can look within the same person and across all the people. Yeah. And so you mentioned that was like a three minute intervention, like the actual duration of the session. The, the yeah, was that three minutes you said? Three minutes. Wow. Yeah. So that was the first test, right? Is we knew that we, when we were using it on ourselves and our friends and family, which is where it all starts, right? From our lab prototypes we built, we knew that we felt different within 60 to 90 seconds. We felt significantly different. There was something going on. And we did some pilot piloting and we showed that if you look at brain waves and you look at EKG data, heart rate data, it was very clear that you turn this vibration on the body, something's changing. The question, is it changing in a statistically significant way, in a clinically significant way, in a study population, in a real study where you can prove without a doubt, this intervention is doing something different. And so this study design really helped us to understand that, which was really pivotal in our development of the product, of the technology, which came out of the University of Pittsburgh, Department of Psychiatry. And so we did that study and that study showed not only that uh, to our, I think not to our surprise, we saw that Apollo improved heart rate variability under stress. That was something we thought it would do because it made us feel calmer under stress. So we thought if people are feeling calmer under stress, then chances are their HRV will go up. And But it went up much more than we thought it did. It would go up. It went up by something like one and a half standard deviations from the mean on average. So that's pretty substantial for HRV in these kinds of tasks because under stress, cognitive or physical HRV always goes down. So to see the curve reverse in and of yeah. itself is really fascinating and significant on its own. But then in addition to that, the cognitive performance outcomes were directly proportionate to the HRV data. So as heart and pup the pupillometry data, which is a measure of autonomic function and of uh, cognitive attention. And so when you look at the pupil data, you look at the um, heart rate and HRV data and the performance data, they're all going in the same direction. When people feel calmer, they perform better. They not only get like up to 25% more questions right on the test, but they also have the signs in their body, that their body's more calm and the functioning, their attention capacity in terms of efficiency, their efficiency of focus is increased. So they're trying harder and they're getting better outcomes at the end just by being a little calmer. So you think about the ability to get potentially 25% more questions right on a test just by doing like a 10, it's, it's equivalent of doing like 15 or 10 minutes of deep breathing or getting a massage before you go in. You're just calming your yeah. body and you could get 10 you know, to 25% more questions right. That's the amount of questions right. That's the amount of question difference 
that you see with amphetamines. That's like a very clinically significant amount of difference. That is, there's no way it could have happened by chance. There's absolutely mm. no way. So mm. we saw that was, in, I think those results came back in like early 2018, but we started to see those results come in. And Catherine, my wife, who's the, my co-founder and the CEO of the company, before this is before we had a company, she, she we were just reading these results and we're like, this is really something you don't see very often. This could not only treat people with PTSD, but it could potentially treat people with ADHD and it could potentially help people with even kids and people without ADHD who have attention issues. This could be like a total game changer. So originally all the work we were doing for Apollo was based on trying to help fix the attention issue that we all have and that people with PTSD and mental illnesses have worse than the rest of us. And so that actually turned out to be successful, which is really exciting. And Apollo is now in clinical trials for all of those all of those indications that I just described, but we released it in January, 2020 as a consumer product because after those trials, and then we repeated some more trials and in athletic populations and in other real world populations and in ill populations. And ultimately the healthy populations really liked it and we all got benefit from it. And so we released it as a consumer product in January of 2020. And that's allowed us to get learned from uh, tens of thousands of people using the technology and giving us tons of, of information that they voluntarily share to help us make the product better, which is really great. Yeah. I can already see how that can have such a broad impact on overall health and performance. Yeah. Just by simply increasing HIV, we can see many downstream benefits associated with that. Um, one that came to my mind was the application for sleep enhancement. Did you guys ever explore the realms of how that could be tied to improving sleep performance? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. We So originally in that original study I told you about, that's when we first learned that some people found certain Apollo vibrations sleepy. So we took those vibrations and we put them into a prototype a, a year later in 2018, and we released them as a, as a prototype that was relatively like 16 different choices. And we just tracked what everybody did and talked to them afterwards. And we tested in about 3,000 people over two years. And we found that people actually had very consistent experiences with the clinical trials, but of all the things people used Apollo for, they used it for sleep more than anything else. And we were, it was so interesting to us because we thought people were going to use Apollo for focus and that was going to be the main thing, but because mm. it's so great for focus, but it turns out people care, cared more about sleep and they use it for sleep. And so we started to look into that. And then we did a sleep study with, in collaboration with our Aura Ring users who voluntarily shared years of aura ring data with us over 1500 people over the last three years and so we've tracked their data and we've shown that apollo actually statistically significantly improves sleep even from one hour of apollo use before bed one time you can get statistically significantly improved sleep wow just one time but if you use it consistently over the course of three months and use oh, it almost every day and use it for three hours a day and night and just you keep using it you get very substantial benefits. Like we're seeing some people, people are getting 30 minutes more sleep a night. That's concentrated in deep and REM sleep and uh 4% reductions in resting heart rate and 11% improvements in HRV that are cumulative over three months. So you think about how powerful those changes are in terms of health changes. That's like the amount of improvement you get from adopting a new 30 minute exercise routine or meditation or mindfulness routine or yoga routine over that same three month time frame. 
just by yeah. getting some touch that we de so desperately need. Here's a quick little message to all men listening into today's show. Do you want to double your energy levels, boost motivation, and increase your focus? If so, you may be interested in my epic men's energy program I've recently launched called Limitless. Now, Limitless is an exclusive 12-week program for men who want to go from feeling tired, unmotivated, or burnt out to highly energetic, driven, and focused. Within the program, I will analyze your own unique biology and lay out a fully personalized health protocol so that you can finally unlock peak physical and cognitive performance. Over the 12 weeks, you will have direct access to me to ensure your results as well as the chance to join me live twice a week to ask me anything relating to health protocols and discover cutting-edge men's health info to keep you at the top of your game. Now, spots in this program are extremely limited, so if you're interested in finding out more, make sure you go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash limitless program to reserve the next available call to see if you're a good fit. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash limitless program. You'll also find this link in my bio on my Instagram profile and also my YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, what I'm curious to learn more about, David, that's a absolutely phenomenal data and you guys have clearly spent a number of hours, thousands, probably thousands of hours cumulatively, cumulatively looking at different metrics and exploring its different applications. Um, as far as the actual settings go and maybe the different modes, you, you mentioned, first of all, that three-minute study was only three minutes looking at improving HIV, whereas this one, like one hour, you said, is there one single setting that, or are there multiple modes, different approaches? Yeah. So we, based on all the studies we've done, real world and in the lab, we gave people seven choices in the version of Apollo that was released in 2020. That is the current version. And the seven choices are basically the seven most common feelings or goals that people, most people told us they had. Right. So it's energy and wake up, which kind of feels like espresso at the most energizing. That's not, that's not calming at all. That's just for energy. Then people use that as an alarm clock to wake themselves up in the morning uh, a lot of the time. Then there's social and open, which is like creative social flow. Great for, it's like a, a lot of people like it. It's like a glass of champagne or at a, at a party with friends. It's like very light, creative flow energy. Clear and focused is the, is the one that we originally found in that clinical trial that using that within just three minutes improves cognitive performance by 25%. That's the go-to for dedicated, sustained focus on anything, and it's really helpful for that. We have a lot of college students using it, um, young kids use it in school. We have a lot of adults using it. I use it every day for work. Social uh, Clear focus is the go-to for just getting stuff done and, and having a steady, even mind, which is really nice. And then getting down from there, the rebuild and recover is like two minutes of deep breathing equivalent. That's what it feels like. And that is great for after any intense stress, after a workout, after uh, intense athletic performance, after travel, after an emo intense emotional or mental stressor, anything like that. That's just a great one to quickly wind down. We've just shown that the vibration patterns in, in, that, in that vibe were just shown in a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial that was just published in July 
from the same University of Pittsburgh group showing that uh, these vibration patterns statistically significantly improve HRV within two minutes. So now, so you can see that it's just very fast, right? The body touch is so interesting because you can just feel it and it, the body knows what to do with it. That's wow. just, it's the same reason why a lot of the car companies are putting haptics in the seats and the steering wheels, because you can communicate with somebody that tell them that to shoulder check much more quickly with a tap on the shoulder than you can with visual, right? So it's all about feeling. And this is the exciting part of the future of 21st century medicine, but just 21st century life in general, right? It's all about feeling. It's all about learning how to feel like ourselves, feel more human, to feel our own feelings, right? And this is the good stuff. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And this is, yeah, it's very exciting technology. And as you mentioned there, David, you basically were saying it's just different vibrational patterns. So what I'm curious to learn about is, is it the frequency at which it's touching? Is it the intensity? Like how is that determined? So the frequency, so what we showed in the studies is that the, so Apollo is basically, oh, I, I forgot to tell you, there's more calming vibrations too. The more calming ones are meditation, mindfulness, which we've shown in clinical trials, improves access to meditative states, relax and unwind. We've shown helps people wind down before sleep and then there's sleep. The way that the Apollo ha, has these different rhythms and the rhythms are composed like songs. So if you think about, and we're actually, our entire founding team were originally the research team were all musicians and neuroscientists and mental health people. Jeez. So music was hugely influential on all of us. And just taking, and I could speak for myself, music just had a huge impact on my life and my understanding of feelings. And so thinking about music really guided and the neuroscience of music, which is actually quite well understood, was guiding in large part this work and helping us to understand how different vibration patterns impact the body. Because as it turns out, we were the first people to think about this. People have been thinking about how music impacts the body and it changes the way we feel for thousands of years, right? These ancient drumming circles and music ceremonies in tribal villages, et cetera, right? Before the internet, long before the internet. So there's, so, so this is a real thing. And so by studying all of that stuff, not just what we've done in the Western labs, but also what other tribal cultures have done, we figured out that there are very specific rhythms that the body just darn likes, right? And when we tested those in the trials, it turned out that we actually hit in the very first trial I told you about of these vibration patterns, we hit an 80%, 80% got the benefit within just two vibration patterns that we used. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So then we iterated on those and then they did another round of studies and then we hit 90%. And then we did it, we iterated on those and we did another round of studies and now we're hitting like 95%. So the same frequency patterns that make me feel clear and focused are likely to make you feel clear and focused because you're simply because you're, we're both human. And that's really interesting. That's I'm really curious to know a little bit more about that because it's, I've always wondered why some people are more inclined to enjoy listening to techno music with a thumping consistent baseline. And I don't know if, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that it's it resembles being in the mother's womb and that bass being like a warming, I don't know, like energizing sensation. With the rhythm, the rhythms that you're talking about, do any, have any of them matched that or mimicked that? Like being in the yeah, womb? they yeah they match they match breath rhythms, right? So right. the house, so the theory with house music that I've heard is that house music, particularly not all techno, of course, but house music specifically is the world's most popular music because the beat beats per minute is very close to the beats per minute average of the heartbeat of the placenta. And that's very soothing to listen to, which could be the case. I think it's hard to 
prove that's the exact reason. But what we've shown is we're really focused on breath rhythms because breath mm. rhythms, the rhythm of the heart and lungs is what happens is to what changes when we meditate. So when we intentionally breathe and get into a meditative state, we're shifting the relationship between our heart and lungs and by timing. And shifting that timing helps them work better or helps them work worse in terms of efficiency. And so that can help us either be more grounded or can help us be more, enter more non-ordinary altered states of consciousness, depending on how we breathe. Breath is really the gateway to attention control, which is really the gate and mindfulness, which is the gateway to accessing all the parts of our consciousness that we don't, we're not typically aware of on a day-to-day basis, or as Freud called our subconscious. So these techniques work really well to do this already. Apollo just gives the vibrations to the body that remind the body of how to breathe that way. The body right. knows what to do. Um, so the vibrations are like a song for our autonomic nervous system that we listen to through our skin that helps remind our body how to get into the rhythm that is optimal, that it wants to get into. It's the homeostatic rhythm effectively, right? That's what I was mentioning, the balance and homeostasis earlier, is that this rhythm is around six breaths per minute, somewhere between five and seven breaths per minute for most people. That's the rhythm that we start to get into between our heart and lungs when we meditate. And so that rhythm in large part is in some ways like a sacred rhythm because entering that state helps us to transition into deeper states of introspection, calm, meditation, et cetera. That makes sense. Yeah. So Apollo just helps to nudge the body into those rhythms. And then that's what helps people feel better. Yeah. Completely makes sense. That just, yeah, that just completely makes sense. As far as the, you mentioned there's a particular mode for energy and like to increase, I'd imagine that's increasing arousal. What sort of, have you done specific clinical trials on just that setting alone? Like all the applications for that, or can you talk to us about like, how are people using that mode? right now that's a good question we did it that vibration pattern was in our first trial that i told you about at the university of pittsburgh and everybody rated it as energizing and not and 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 most people didn't rate it as unpleasant and so basically when we did this study we took 38 people and we exposed them each to 15 or 16 different vibration patterns for 30 seconds each and then they had 10 seconds or 20 seconds to click on a picture that was a graph that had one line, uh, one axis of positive energy to negative energy, low energy to high energy and negative, and then X axis of negative feeling to positive feelings. And so we selected for all of the ones that were positive and either energy reducing or energy increasing that people selected and everything that was negative and unpleasant, we screened out. So we didn't want to give people feelings that made them feel bad. So energy and wake up was the most enjoyable of the energizing vibrations, most of them are not enjoyable because they remind people of a cell phone buzz or an alarm clock, or they're just very, they're very like energizing. Like a part of the, and like the part of the reason why notifications on our phone feel the way they do is because those are scientifically known to be vibration patterns that are good at notifying and kept us and captivating our attention because that's the goal. And it's not a bad thing. That's what we signed up for, right? But the whole, yeah. if you don't want that, you just put your phone on do not disturb. But the, but the point is that these vibration patterns are known to, in, to notify us. They're known to do state of alarm or attention capture. The rest of the Apollo experience is very much meant to be a passive experience. Like you throw that thing on, 
you set it and forget it. You schedule it. It turns on automatically and runs in the background. It just helps you like your best friend throughout the day. It's not meant to be like an active thing. It's just passive support in the background, mm. which is cool. Yeah. I'd imagine then David, the, so the equal and opposite effect would occur with the energizing setting in that that would have a equal and opposite physiological effect as in, does it, did it increase heart rate? Did it decrease HIV? Did it increase like breathing rate? Did it have those equal and opposite physiological adaptations? We didn't measure that completely in that part of the study, but we did measure other vibration patterns that were, that were similar to it that did increase heart rate and a little bit and did increase breathing rate a little bit. But we tried to make energy and wake up one that didn't really increase anything that much right? We just want it to be lightly stimulating. We have too much heavy stuff all the time. The subtlety is really where it's at. Everybody's hammering all the time on these big changes, like big doses. And that stuff doesn't always do it. Sometimes it's like the body just needs like a little bit of a nudge and then it'll get there on its own. And you add a little bit too much and all of a sudden you're feeling anxious and restless and overwhelmed. Yeah. So there's there's also, you've probably heard this theory a number of times. It's like the, depending upon whether or not you know how to do a particular skill and your state of arousal. So is it, is in, if you've got very high level of arousal for a particular skill that you know how to do versus a skill that you're struggling with, or it's a brand new skill, I don't think having super high arousal is actually conducive to performing that skill as effectively. Is that like the inverted U arousal theory, something like that? Sorry, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand the question. It was if uh, let's say somebody's learning a new skill and they're set the setting onto energy and arousal, but mm. we know that if you're complete, let's say you're practicing a skill that you already know how to do, let's say something you're doing really well, having an increase in arousal for doing something you already know how to do will increase performance. Whereas if you're trying to learn a new skill, having more arousal. Yeah. 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 So we have different modes for different vibes for that. So energy and wake up is really used for people who have like chronic fatigue, people who are exhausted, people who need extra help getting up in the morning and they have it turn on to wake them up out of bed, people who who have who work night shift, people who do like really long drives, who need who don't want to fall asleep at the wheel. People who are in those kinds of situations, falling asleep at office meetings after lunch, right? Things like that. That's when energy and wake up is the go-to. For learning and for getting the body primed for a state for learning, the social and open and the clear and focused mode tend to be the the go-tos for that because they increase arousal just a teensy bit, but they really dominantly increase parasympathetic tone. And so Mm. that just helps nudge people into as close to a flow state as you can get when you're working. It makes accessing those states of flow just like real nice and smooth and easy transitions. Yeah, that makes sense. As far as the actual device and the iterations over time, you said it's you're still using this the exact same technologies you did back in 2020. Was it is that correct? Pretty much. Wow. Yep. Yeah. The technology for 2020 was quite advanced. But that we've released some new stuff. This is a clip. So originally when it came out, you could only wear it on a strap on the ankle, wrist, or arm, but now you can wear it on a clip. So you can I became when we released this, I became a from an, I was an all-day ankle wearer, and now I'm, I wear it on my chest during the day, and I wear it on my ankle at night for sleep. 
but the chest is amazing. It feels so nice. And it's so like immediately grounding because it transmits so easily through the breastbone, the chest, the uh, sternum and the bones of the chest are just very conductive to sound. Um, so it's very nice on the chest. And it also, one thing we've learned is that wearing a paw on your chest dramatically reduces or dramatically increases battery life because the chest is so much more sensitive. You can use it at five or 10% intensity, or you can use it at like less than half of the volume or intensity you normally would use it at, which is a very personal thing. So if you could turn down the intensity to half, then you can get more battery life in the long run. And that's still obviously emitting that through your clothes. So it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be direct skin to skin contact. Nope. It's just sound. Wow. It passes right through the clothes because sound is mechanical waves, right? Mm. So they're literally physical waves of vibration. So they don't require skin contact. It's phenomenal. I'm curious to know about what is, what's the evolution of Apollo? Like what are the future things in store that you guys are excited to explore? Maybe there's upcoming clinical trials that you're excited to conduct. What does the future hold for Apollo? I think the most exciting stuff that's coming is really exploring the personalization component of what we can do, taking a step back and just looking at what is the future of medicine in the 21st century, right? Where we have a lot of problems to solve. We have a lot of challenges that we're facing. We still suck at treating chronic mental illnesses and chronic physical illnesses in large part as well. We do chronic inflammatory physical illnesses. We just are not very good at treating effectively with our paradigms, we can do, we can help some people, but there's still a lot of people who need help. And Apollo presents a really interesting opportunity because we don't have enough people like me or like your friendly family physician that you trust to go around to take care of everybody, right? We just don't, there's not enough doctors, there's not enough healthcare providers, there's not enough access to care or to therapy or any of this stuff. So we're gonna have to start to teach people to do it on their own. People mm. can do it on their own. We were all born with, and even Hippocrates said this going back 3,000 or 5,000 years or what have you, even Hippocrates said that we all are born with the ability to heal ourselves. This is the forefather of Western medicine, right? We are born with the ability to heal ourselves. Food is medicine, right? The experiences of life that we have are medicine. These are all tools that we can use to help us heal. And it's really just using the tools respectfully to activate our own healing. So Apollo, what's really exciting for Apollo is that we've been spending years gathering data, thanks to our generous users who've shared their data with us to understand how Apollo impacts their bodies in the real world. And from that, we were able to design Apollo and train it to be able to track certain parts of your life, like sleep, and then personalized sleep, personalized sleep vibes to you in terms of time of delivery and basically help regulate our circadian cycles automatically without us having to really do anything, which is really exciting because when you look at the biggest problems we're facing in public health right now across all mental illnesses and all illnesses in general, sleep is the number one challenge, biggest challenge we're facing. And without fixing sleep, all the other stuff just doesn't stick. So we have to fix sleep first. It's at the foundation of all health and wellness and, and general well-being and recovery. We have to fix sleep. So we're releasing the very first, the very first and very exciting thing that we've been working on for years to release, which is generative AI for health. We have, as a medical community, failed to deliver on the promise of personalized medicine. We now have an opportunity to do that using AI 
to sift through all of our data and help deliver an experience, in this case, an Apollo vibration that's customized to you based on the time you need it and what you're doing at that time. The first example of that will be detecting when people wake up in the middle of the night and turning Apollo on automatically to help them go back to sleep or and stay asleep. And then we'll show you how many minutes of sleep you got back that we saved you. Right. So that's a really interesting thing that AI can do now that just never seen before. And that's mm. gen four of wearable technology. In four years, we've gone through two generations of wearables. That's how fast this technology is moving. Oh, look, it's definitely a very exciting space. And I'm so glad we have people like yourself pioneering all this and exploring the depths of all these different applications for these different devices. And now obviously speaking about leveraging the sheer speed and power of AI to now just fast track personalization, which is essentially what you guys are doing, which is phenomenal. And like hats off to you guys for doing all this. It's an incredible mission. I guess my final words for you, I know we didn't really get a chance to discuss the psychedelics. We'll have to probably leave that for a second podcast about the interventions there. But as far as the actual Apollo device right now, for those listening in, there will be a link to actually purchase the Apollo device in the um, podcast show notes. I'll make sure to leave that linked in the show notes for those listening in. But as far as any other upcoming future clinical trials, are there? do you guys have plans to like conduct any future studies? I'm, I'm particularly really interested in the athletic performance realm. I don't know what's already been conducted there, but from a sports performance realm, like what's out there right now? There's a lot of exciting stuff to study. Just, just limited, limited funds to do research, but there's lots of exciting questions to answer. We have our first athletic publication came out in July of 2022. That's exciting for the field and creates a lot of new opportunities for us to explore how technology can help us recover more effectively in safe ways. We're actually running about 12 clinical trials right now that are ongoing. We, got, we have our hands full across lots of different clinical indications, looking, evaluating Apollo for ADHD, Apollo for PTSD, Apollo for recovery from traumatic brain injury. There's another cognitive performance trial that's going on in healthy folks and folks with traumatic brain injury at the University of South Carolina. We have a PTSD study at the Denver VA that's running. And then we have a number of studies in healthy subjects looking at just preventing burnout, looking at physicians, looking at healthcare providers and at UCLA and the University of Pittsburgh, and just figuring out how we can support them better and prevent burnout over time by giving them tools that balance their autonomic nervous system, help them sleep better, which is absolutely critical because I know how much this technology helped me when I had it during those years of working in the hospital. And I can only imagine how much our colleagues could benefit from it. So we'll be making a huge donation. The Apollo is making a huge donation of technology to those studies on the order of 500 devices that are going to frontline healthcare workers that are going to be studied over the next uh, couple of years, which is really great. And it creates a lot of opportunity for us to figure out how to support our communities better, because it's not just about the people. It's not just about the people who are the patients. The patients are our goal. And that's the main thing we focus on all the time. But if we forget to take care of ourselves in the process, then we can't provide that great care to our patients, right? We have yeah. to take care of ourselves to be able to take care of others. And for us as healthcare providers, that's something that we are often overlooking because we were taught to, we deprioritize our own health and well-being. And they, to the point that you mentioned earlier, and you want to talk about psychedelic medicine, this is a lot of what psychedelic medicine has to offer us in terms of teaching, right? It's really teaching us that we need to take time to reflect 
and we need to take time to recover and that our brains function a lot better, like a heck of a lot better, a, a, a way, like an unrecognizable amount better when we are recovered. And if we're constantly burning the candle to both ends, if we're constantly performing and expecting ourselves to perform at peak all the time without equally prioritizing time for ourselves to recover, we will burn out. It is not, it's not, it's not a if, it's a when, if we are pushing ourselves that hard. And so psychedelic medicines are really interesting because the healing process that unfolds as people start to work with them in the therapeutic setting is really amplifying of that safety process that we were talking about earlier, right? And that highly influenced the development of Apollo. It really helps us to understand that when you, it doesn't matter if you're using gentle, soothing touch to the skin that's through, from your Apollo or your best friend, or whether it's adding a neurochemical to your mouth that you swallow that has amplification to powers in terms of biochemical effects on the safety response system in our limbic system and our emotional brain, right? The whole point is the emotional brain is the end target and it's what's not functioning the way it needs to. And we have lots of tools to address that. So now ketamine assisted psychotherapy is a tool that's readily available that people can access. If anybody's looking for resources there, I know they can be hard to find reliable providers. So you can always reach out to me on social at Dr. David Rabin on Twitter or Instagram, or you can reach out to me at drdave.io on my website. Um, We're happy to direct you to people in your area who can help. But these techniques can be administered safely. They're legal in every country, almost every country in every state of the US. And ketamine in particular is the one that is legal that can be accessed now and can really help to molecularly jumpstart these processes for some people who can benefit from that. And they're again, these are not for everybody. And that's why we develop things like Apollo because Apollo, anybody can use and you can get mm-hmm. great benefit from it. But ketamine assisted therapy is fantastically helpful when used properly. But again, it's not for everybody. And you should consult your physician or somebody in the space who can guide you in that direction if you're interested. But similarly powerful learning experiences for us in the field and for our patients. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously what you mentioned there, it's all tying back to that um, part of the brain, the emotional regulation center, and the fact that the Apollo does have some overlap, but does have some crossover effects to some of these psychedelics, which appear to disrupt the default mode network and things like that. There's a lot of crossover there. And I can see why you're linking the two and mentioning both because ultimately your mission is to like um, upgrade one's resilience to stress and upgrade, improve one's adaptability response in in such a stressful society. And it sounds like Apollo is just yet another tool in our toolkit amongst other practices and therapies to to do that. So yeah, it's phenomenal stuff. That's exactly it. Just yeah. get all the get all the tools you can because it's not an easy <laughs> road. But it's fun. Once That's... you have the once you have the tools and you know how to use them, it starts to get a lot more fun. Mm. Yeah, for sure. David, this has been a, we'll have to, the psychedelic stuff. I've had a few guests on the podcast talk about different psychedelic in- interventions. I've had Professor David Nutt. I've had him on the podcast. He's got a few others. Yeah. So we'll have to do a second one around specifically psychedelic therapy and your involvement in that space, which sounds like phenomenal stuff. But again, for those listening in, if they want to check the show notes for all the links, I'll leave a link to David's social media handles. I'll leave a link to the Apollo website, but otherwise, it was a fantastic chatting, Dave. I learned so much. I'm so glad to hear it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. 
For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.